All right, New Life East, if I can gather your attention back up front. If you've taken a seat, I want to invite you to stand back up here for just one more second. We are going to say the creed together. If you're new here at New Life and you're unsure why we do this, we say the creed together for a couple reasons. We recognize that we are not just a church in isolation who is meeting here on a Sunday, that there are churches all throughout the world who are joining with us in worship. We also recognize that if that is true, it means that we are a part of a greater story, that we are a part of the story that God has been writing for centuries. And what we do when we say the creed together is we align ourselves what has been true for a very long time. So New Life East, would you join with me this morning? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For us sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He is spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Man, you guys can take a seat. One of the things that I love about New Life Church is that we are surrounded by a plethora of gifted pastors and leaders and preachers. And we have the honor and the privilege to have one of those here with us today. This is Pastor Jade Duncan from New Life Midtown. New Life East, would you give him a warm welcome? Jade, we're so glad that you're here. Thank Thanks, you. brother. Thank you. Friends, I've asked the worship team to stay up here for a few minutes. I made a deal with the Lord Uh, A long time ago, I said, Lord, anytime you want to mess things up or mix things up or lean in, I said, you have my yes. And I don't know about you, but there's just something really, really special on this moment when we're declaring how worthy Jesus is. You know, all of our worship is a response to our revelation of who God is. If our worship is low, it's because our revelation of who he is is low. I want you to imagine this. The scripture tells us in Revelation 4 and in Revelation 5 that there are elders that are surrounding the throne of Jesus. And throughout all of eternity past and into all of eternity in the future, they're just saying the same thing over and over and over again. They're saying, holy, holy. They're saying one word, and they're saying the same thing because every time they take a revolution around, they get another revelation of how amazingly magnificent Jesus is. 
Guys, this isn't just rhetoric. We don't do this stuff to just give ourselves something to do on a Sunday morning. We are here. This worship team comes at 6 a.m., sets up in this gym because we want to help usher you into a revelation of the only one who's worthy. He's the only one who's worth your time. He's the only one who's worth your affection. We give our affections away to so many different lovers, sports and golf and gobs of money and energy and mental, just mental distraction, Instagram, scrolling hours. And Jesus is sitting there saying, I'm the only one who is deserving of your gaze. I am the only one who deserves your gaze. I'm the only one who deserves your emotional allegiance. I'm the only one who deserves your love and your affection. And I don't even know what's going to happen in this space. I just want to pray. I want to set a stage right now, Jesus. We're absolutely in love with you. We're mesmerized by you, Jesus. I can't even get through the Nicene Creed without being undone again at the faithful declaration and the faithful enduring proclamation of who this man, Christ Jesus, is. You are the faithful witness, Jesus. You're the one that one day we're going to lock eyes with you. And all of the loss and all of the sorrow and all of the grief and all of the joy, it's all going to melt away and we're going to be absolutely undone in your presence, God. We love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We owe everything to you. Jesus, you're the one whose eyes burn and blaze like fire. There's a sword in your mouth, oh God. And when you open your mouth, it's like the sound of rushing waters. As the deer pants for water, God, our soul longs for you. Our soul longs for the living God. When can we go and meet with God? We love you. You've been so good to us. You've been so good to us. The boundary lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. You've made known to us the path of life. God, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore, oh God. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day, one moment. One moment in the presence of God is greater than being anywhere else in this planet, oh God, we love you. We love you. We love you. We put our affection on display for you, God. We break open the alabaster box of our affection and we pour it out on your feet today, Jesus. We love you. We love you, Jesus. I looked for someone and I I wept because I couldn't find anyone who was worthy to open the scroll. And then I looked and I beheld the one who was like the Lamb of God who was worthy to open the scroll. Andrew, can we just sing? He is worthy. Let's just sing, He is worthy. You are worthy, Jesus. Church, can we just sing it one more time? It's who you are. You alone are worthy. No one else is worthy. It's you, God. It's you. 
You are worthy. Only you are worthy, Jesus. You're worthy. You're deserving, Jesus. You're deserving of our worship. Jesus, I'm here to announce today that there is absolutely no one or no thing that compares to you. That the glory and the splendor of this world, that every pleasure and every passion, every desire, it all pales, compares to you. Jesus, you fulfill the longest and deepest desires within us. We are absolutely whole in your presence, Jesus. And we will spend the rest of eternity locking eyes with you. We'll spend the rest of eternity responding to your invitation. We'll spend the rest of eternity saying thank you for your goodness and your kindness. We'll spend the rest of eternity getting lost in the wonders of who you are. And so, God, I pray today, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, do what no preacher and no musician, do what no person can do in this place. Have absolute freedom. Holy Spirit, come open eyes and unlock doors. Take the key to our hearts and open us up and unlock us and make us whole and heal us and rouse our passion and rekindle the flame of our love for the man Christ Jesus. We pray that you would do these things today by the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, team. And thank you, New Life East, for just giving me the opportunity to go there. I feel like I'm at home. My name's Jay Duncan, my wife. My awesome son is here. We're from New Life Midtown, and what a pleasure it is to be with you guys here at New Life Feast. If you're here today for the first time, we've been in a series in the New Life family in the book of Nehemiah. And I want to just jump right in if we can. I want to talk with you today about building a life of prayer. I want to talk with you about building a secret place and building a relational history with God. A couple of weeks ago, I was spending just a quiet moment with the Lord, and I felt like the Lord leaned into me and he said, son, you can have the life that you desire in me, that you can have the relationship you've always dreamed of with me, in me. I've had a lot of friendships fail. I've had a lot of people I've poured my heart, my emotions, my energy, my affection, my allegiance into and there's a lot of disappointment with that. And I felt like the Lord said, son, however, however far you want to go in me, he said, you can go there. And he said, the life that you're dreaming to have in me, in relationship with me, he said, son, you can have that. And I felt like that's a word for you today. Some of you are longing for an intimacy and a depth of relationship with the living God of eternity. And the word for you this morning is you can have that that God is opening his arms wide and he's saying, come, I'm inviting you out of the boat into the waters of intimacy. Come up to the mountain. 
Who is the one that can ascend the mountain of the Lord? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who doesn't lift up their soul to an idol or swear by what is false. You can dwell on the mountain of intimacy with God. And he's saying, come up here. You can have the life in me that you've always dreamed of. The book of Nehemiah is really fascinating. When you read throughout the entire book, all 13 chapters, you'll find that littered all throughout these chapters is a mention of prayer. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And you find these little shotgun moments where he spontaneously prays. We see it in chapter 2. We see it in chapter 4. We see it in chapter 6. We see it in chapter 9. He just lifts up these. It's almost like he's breathing. Like God is so, such a part of the, the relational fabric of his life that no matter what's going on, opposition, frustration, he's being mocked, he's being ridiculed, he's, he's organizing the people, he's breathing out these prayers. And the thesis that I want to submit to you today is that those short prayers came out of seasons of prayers. Seasons where God takes us a little bit deeper. How many of you in your relational history with God have had seasons where God has just taken you deeper into the closet of prayer? You know what I'm talking about? He wakes you up a little bit earlier in the morning. Like food is just not as appetizing. You, might, you find yourself, it's easier to fast. There's a grace on your life. You're cutting off the TV. You're pushing away the phone. There's a grace for a season of prayer. Nehemiah chapter 1 opens up and he says that in the time or in the, in the hour and the day, in the month of Kislev, he hears this word. And it's a word of the status of what's happening in Jerusalem. And it throws Nehemiah into a four to five month season of prayer. I am convinced that God ushered Nehemiah into a season of prayer in those five months. From the moment he heard the word about the state of Jerusalem to the moment he stood before the king, many scholars believe, four to five months, and there was a season of intense fasting and prayer and longing before the God of eternity. But that season of prayer, I believe, was preceded by a lifestyle of prayer. We don't hear much about Nehemiah's life, but I just have this sneaky suspicion that you don't throw yourself into carrying the burden of God. And you don't throw yourself into these dangerous assignments unless you have cultivated something deep with God for years. Friends, God is jealous for you. He is jealous for you with a holy jealousy. He's jealous for your time. He's jealous for your affections. He's jealous to hear what's on your heart. You know, my children are going back to school after an another amazing summer. Summer is my favorite time of the year. And one of the reasons why I just, I, I still am not convinced that summer's over yet. I'm just, I mean, I'm either in denial and I'm so ticked off. Like Starbucks is just encroaching and encroaching and encroaching. Pumpkin spice lattes are coming out in July and then June and then May. And I'm like, you need to stay in your place. Summer belongs to me and my children, and I build a wall, and I love my time with my kids because I've got four of them, and it's like the hourglass of time is tipped over, and it's like oil just slipping through my fingers. And then when they go back to school, it's like they're up at six, and they come home at nine, and I barely get to see them. So I long for summer because I'm jealous for their presence. And friends, I want you to know how much more God is jealous for relational history. He's jealous for your heart, and for your time. And I believe he had that with Nehemiah. We're going to look at the opening verses here in verses 5 through 11. And we get this little window, very much like in John chapter 17, when Jesus is in the garden 
of Gethsemane, his soul is being crushed like a wine press, and he's pouring out his heart before God. And we get this little window into the intimate words that Jesus shares with the Father. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5 says, Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Now pause right here. I want you to notice something in verse 5. If we can go back. Lord, the God of heaven, before Nehemiah does anything, he rehearses the character, the enduring nature of who God is. Friends, one of the best things that you can do in prayer is very simply identify the names, the titles, the positions, and the self-describing character that God gives to himself and just say that back to him. And it's not because he needs to hear it. It's when we are announcing the character of God to him, something is being fortified on the, de- on the deepest parts of who we are. This past Wednesday, in the morning session of prayer in the World Prayer Center, Pastor Colin was leading on the keys, and Shailene Smith, your children's pastor, got up there, and she read out of Psalm 89. And friends, when she began to pray the verses, the first seven verses of Psalm 89, something just burned on the inside of me, because those verses were talking about the faithfulness of God. And we weren't just going, oh God, you're faithful. Like she was announcing to my soul a reminder that God is the covenant-keeping God. Friends, when you take the word of God and you stand in the presence of God and you announce to your mind and your imagination and you announce to the deepest parts of your being what God has said about who God is, something gets rock solid on the inside of you. And that's what Nehemiah is doing right now. He's rehearsing the words of Jeremiah. He's rehearsing the words of Moses. He's rehearsing the words of the psalmist. And he's announcing to God, you are the God who keeps covenant. Here's the reason why I can stand before you. Here's the reason why I can accept dangerous assignments. Here's the reason why I can believe that you're going to do something on behalf of Jerusalem because you said that you would. Because your name is the God who keeps covenant even to a thousand generations. In verse 6, he says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying. Isn't it interesting that he says, God, let your ears be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer. Well, I only thought that you needed ears to hear, Nehemiah. Like God, the scripture says, his eyes roam throughout the entire earth looking for someone to show himself strong to. The scripture also says that the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the entire earth looking for one person who would stand in the gap, who would take on his burden, who would say, where are the places where the walls of our society are low? Where are the places where the walls of the 1040 window are low? Where are the places where the walls of domestic abuse and violence are low? And I'm looking for a man or a woman who will stand right in that gap and say, God, I will stand here in the breach and I will pray the purposes of God and the will of God and the heart of God and the resources of God until that gap is filled with the kingdom of God. The scripture says that the eyes of God are looking for a man or a woman that he can strengthen in the place of prayer. Let your ear be attentive. Let your eyes be open to the prayer your servant is praying before you. Day and night for your servants. So in prayer, we not only rehearse to God the character of God, but when you get into the closet of prayer and you allow the burden of God to penetrate and infect your heart, you'll find yourself praying dangerous prayers because you will find yourself moving into what the Scripture calls intercession, where you'll begin praying for a people that are not your own, 
And you'll pray for them, not sterile, dead, stoic words. They'll be animated with the life of the Spirit of God, and they'll be infused with emotion. I am convinced that you cannot carry the heart of God and be emotionless about it. That when you move into real intercession, where you are in the yoke of God's heart, you will be moved. You'll be moved to tears. You'll be moved to holy anger. You'll be revitalized in your very being because God is animating you by his spirit in your spirit to carry the burden of God with him. And this is what's happening with Nehemiah right here. And then he moves into confession and repentance. I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. So those are, like, prayer is a multidimensional language. It's not one-dimensional. Like if I walk you through the entirety of the scriptures, you find that there are all different kinds of praise. There are all different kinds of confection. There's different kinds of supplication. There's different kinds of thanksgiving. And that's because prayer is the language of our relationship with God. If you have a one-dimensional relationship with God, you're going to be one-dimensional in your prayer life with God. So I want to talk with you here just for the next few moments and by the way, the, the point of this message today is not to teach you or equip you. I can look at your eyes and I can tell some of you have a long history with God. Today I'm here to rekindle a fire inside of you. Today I'm here to call you back to the secret place. Today I'm here to remind you that God always does everything in the earth realm in response to a people who faithfully pray and cry out to him. So I want to walk with you through a couple of things, a few things that happen when we build a life of prayer. Number one, God shares the burden of his heart with us. We find this in verses three and four. When Nehemiah's brother shares with him the state of what's happening in Jerusalem, and we find out that Nehemiah immediately, when he hears the news of what's going on in the land of his fathers, he sits down. He allows this word to penetrate him deeply. And it says that he wept. He was moved in his emotions. God was doing something with him in that moment. He was imparting his burden into Nehemiah's spirit. And then the scripture tells us that he mourned. He shed tears and he fasted and he began to cry out to God. One of the greatest privileges of your life and my life is to share the burden of the Lord. I can't imagine Jesus carrying the cross and in that moment needing help. And could you imagine, could you imagine being the man that Jesus looks over and locks eyes with and says, can you help me carry this cross so I can finish my assignment? Could you imagine being those three men that Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm about to go into this garden and I'm about to pour my soul out unto death and I need you three guys to help carry me through in intercession. And we know that those three guys, they failed miserably. But imagine being invited into that space. And friends, here's my proposal. God is constantly inviting us into the yoke of carrying his burden with him. Romans 8 tells us that Jesus right now, as we speak here in this moment, sitting in this gym, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he ever lives to make intercession. Jesus' full-time job until he returns again, is to make intercession for you and for you and your grandchildren and your children and your marriage and your finances and Pakistan and Beijing and North Korea. And Jesus is rocking back and forth in the presence of a holy God, crying out the will of God to be done on the earth. And he's saying, who will join me? 
Who will join me? Who will cry out, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven? I believe that in the Trinity, there's a holy conversation that is happening throughout all of eternity. And that when we enter into the place of intercession, we actually enter in to the divine prayers that are happening between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we get to participate with that. We see that in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is caught up into the heavenly realms. He has a vision. And after going through confession and repentance, he hears the divine counsel saying, who will go for us? Who shall we send? This is intercession. Here I am, God. Here I am. I want to participate with the counsel of heaven. I want to participate with the burden of heaven. And God is constantly tapping us on the shoulders saying, will you join me? The second thing that happens when we build a life of prayer is that God gives you courage for difficult assignments. I love this little window into uh, Nehemiah's heart that we get in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 2. The scripture tells us that after all of these months of fasting and praying, that Nehemiah's moment has come and he is sitting before King Artaxerxes. Scholars tell us that when a cupbearer is, let's just put it like this, that when a bartender is sour-faced at the greatest party that the king is throwing, the bartender probably isn't going to have a job for long. And so Nehemiah, he, he tells us, he's scared. Look with me, if you would, in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 2. It says, so the king asks me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid. I was very much afraid. I was afraid to stand before the king. I was afraid to ask him so audaciously all the things that I was going to ask him. I was afraid that I was going to travel hundreds of miles to go all the way back to Jerusalem and the assignment would be an utter failure. I was afraid maybe I'm not enough for this. Maybe I'm not up for the task. What about the surrounding nations that want our heads? God, I'm afraid. But in a life of prayer, here's what God does. He acknowledges that fear and that insecurity and that doubt and that unbelief and that uncertainty in ourselves. And over the course of time, every hour you log with God, he's building something deep in the fiber of your being that says, God, I believe that you can and that you will. And he gives you courage, courage for difficult assignments. Here's what I can tell you. I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years, still a young man. But the longer you live in God, you can expect that he's going to ask you to do some difficult things. Friends, you don't want a life of safety. You don't want a life of safety. You don't want a life that's inoculized from danger. That's in, in, the, in the deepest parts of your bones. That's not what you want. You don't want to just like make sure that you never have any risk in your life. And when you begin to lean into God in the house of prayer, here's what is going to happen. God's going to start giving out difficult assignments in your life. They're going to be beyond you. They're going to be, some, sometimes it's going to feel like more than you can handle. And that's a good thing. Because in that space where God is calling you to do things that are beyond you, you're going to find a holy hot pursuit well up inside of you and you're going to dig into God in a way you never have before and you're going to experience him and you're going to explore the inner caverns of who he is and you're going to be anointed in new ways and you're going to do exploits for your God in the earth. Friends, God has courage to give to you. The third thing he has is wisdom because not only are difficult assignments dangerous 
And not only are they challenging, but they require a wisdom that is above the wisdom of this world. There is a wisdom that is from this world. It's a conventional wisdom. Our bookshelves are littered with the wisdom of this world. But there is a wisdom that comes from above. It is gentle. It is submissive. It is without partiality. It is without judgment. It is kind. It is good. It is full of the life of God. It produces the fruit of the Spirit. And sometimes it's going to feel very counterintuitive. And it's always going to be countercultural. But it's a wisdom that comes from above that causes you to see right before your eyes the solutions to problems that have been there for years. If you find yourself gridlocked in something, in a marriage, relationship with a child, God, I'm beating my head against the wall. I don't know how to figure this out. Friends, let me just give you some words of encouragement. There is a wisdom that comes from above. It's not cheap. It'll cost you everything. But it will be worth everything because on the other side of that wisdom, there is a breakthrough. On the other side of that wisdom, there's life. On the other side of that wisdom, the kingdom of God and the life that comes with that kingdom begin to enter into your situation. It is worth the pursuit for you and I to get into our house of prayer and say, God, give us wisdom. The wisdom of, the, the wisdom of God allows you to do things that last in the earth. The wisdom of the world may sound good, feel good, look good, but at the end of us expending all of our energy, there is nothing that is sustaining or lasting after we exhaust the wisdom of the world. But there is a wisdom from God that when you tap into that wisdom, what you put your hands to will endure, friends. Here's perhaps my next favorite thing that comes. When we build a life of prayer in God and with God. And by the way, if I haven't explained this already, a life of prayer is not just a little five-minute devotional. A life of prayer is not a Sunday morning service. A life of prayer is a deep, intimate relationship with God where you're always available. And he says, hey, push it all the way right now and come deeper. And you say yes, that is building a life of prayer in God. The next thing that happens, we find, is that there is an authority that God grants to those who build this life of prayer with him. It's an authority. And let me give you a couple of thoughts about authority, then I'm going to read these verses. Authority is a fascinating thing in the scriptures, and I could probably teach on it for about 12 hours. I mean, authority is critical. Authority is always given, it's never taken. When you look throughout the scriptures in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve attempted to seize authority. But authority in God is never taken. It's always given. And authority is given based on the timing and the wisdom of God. You may think that you're ready right now for something. God, I'm ready. I'm ready for this assignment. Why is everybody else getting promoted but me? It's because authority is given in the wisdom and in the timing of God. And God knows when you're ready to handle and receive more authority. Authority is given to sons and daughters. Authority starts out small. And when we're faithful in the small field that God has given to us, he'll expand our borders and our boundaries of authority. The world and the enemy work with power. But God works with authority, and here's why. Because authority gives you permission to access power. 
When you touch power without having the legal authority in God to access that power, you are operating in violation of the jurisdiction of power that God has made available to you. Are you hearing me today? So there is an authority that is operating on Nehemiah's life. And here's how I know this. Look at this verse. This verse is amazing. Let me tee up this verse by saying probably nobody in the room is going to appreciate the fullness of this verse, but pastors and children's directors and those who work in the nonprofit arena. Chapter 2, verse 18 says, I also told them about the gracious hand of God on me and what the king had said to me. So here's Nehemiah. He's explaining the plan. He's recounting the moment where he's standing before King Artaxerxes and he so boldly asks for everything. And then he begins to tell the people in Jerusalem, guys, God's hand's on my life. And watch what happens. They replied, sweet, let's start rebuilding. Guys, do you know how much of a miracle this is right here? This is a miracle. For one man to come hundreds of miles away and say, hey, God told me something. And they said, let's do it. That is a miracle. And they said, let us begin this good work. And here's what I want to propose to you. That there are things that you're called to do in your life that you will never be able to do until you have an understanding of the authority of God on your life. I've been preaching now for about 25 years of my life. And there have been seasons where my prayer life has been dry. But listen, I'm articulate. I'm eloquent. I know the scriptures. I, I know when to get loud. I know when to get quiet. I know pace, I know meat, I know all of those things, and I would preach with my guts, but I'm here to tell you today, there was no sauce on it. There was no authority on it. I know it. I can look back in, my, in seasons of my life and go, there was nothing on you. And I can also look to moments in my life when God was stealing me away and saying, son, come. Come into this house of prayer. Come up to the mountain of the Lord. Come into the secret place of God. Let's dwell long hours here. Purchase something. Stop working on rhetoric. Stop trying to fine-tune that joke. Just get some oil on your life. And maybe it doesn't sound perfect, but when it comes out and it lands, there's fire on it. There's an authority on it. The scriptures tell us in Acts chapter 4 that when the, the disciples stood before the Pharisees, they looked at them and said, we're scratching our heads, guys, because you didn't go to seminary, and we don't really think your homiletics are that great, but when we look at you, we realize you've been with Jesus. It's unmistakable. It's undeniable. All the Pharisees, whenever Jesus would preach and he would tell parables, they'd look back and go, we don't understand this. And the people marveled because the scripture tells us this. In gospel after gospel after gospel, they were all amazed because he taught as one who had authority. You need authority. And God is looking for faithful men and women. God is looking for people who will procure authority in him. And it doesn't happen by manipulation it doesn't happen by rushing the process. It doesn't happen by self-promotion. It doesn't even happen by being charismatic or being gifted or being talented. It comes by in the quiet places of your life being faithful and trustworthy in God. And then he says, I can trust you with authority. But you need authority for the assignments that you're carrying on your life. Nehemiah shows up and to a people that are broken, and they're distressed, and they're frustrated, and they're hopeless, and they're grieving, he speaks a word that snaps everyone into attention. That's called authority. The symbol of authority in the scripture is keys. 
And I believe that when in those four to five months when Nehemiah was going deeper in God, I believe that God was just handing out keys to Nehemiah. Oh, you need to meet with the king. You need favor. Here's a key. Oh, you need resources? Sweet. Here's a key of provision. Nehemiah, you're going to need organization and administration. Here's a key. You're going to need to know what to do when all your people want to quit. And when Sanballat and Tobiah are breathing down your neck, here's a key. It's a key of courage. It's a key of conviction. It's a key of strength. You need this key. Friends, I think the word of the hour for you is lean into God and allow God in his good timing to pour out an anointing on your life that breaks the yoke, that destroys shackles and chains in your life, in the lives of those closest to you, in the lives of those people that you work with. Allow the anointing of God to increase in your life. The world needs it. So many other things that I could tell you that are happening in the book of Nehemiah. But I want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, and the worship team can come on back up. 2 Timothy chapter 1 has been a verse that I've just been soaking in for the past four weeks. The Lord interrupted me one day as I was reading through First and 2 Timothy, and I couldn't get away from verse 6. In chapter 1, verse 6, Paul is reminding his young son in the faith. He's reminding Timothy that both his mother and his grandmother were carrying something that was alive inside of them. Now, I don't know if we have the ability to go to verse 5, and it's okay if we don't. But in verse 5, Paul is telling Timothy, Paul is telling Timothy that your mom and your grandmom were carrying something. They were carrying a faith. That faith was living. And then in verse 6, this is what Paul says. For this reason. For what reason, Paul? For the reason of the living dynamic of your faith. For the reason that your grandmother was praying this moment into existence. For the reason that she fought through battles in her life in prayer and in faith so that she could hand the faith off to her daughter, your mom. And for the, for, for the fact that your mom that handed that faith on to you and you have come to this moment in history where your faith is being called into account. Paul says, for this reason, I remind you, son, fan into flame the gift of God that is inside of you. There's two important words here. Fan into flame, rekindle, and the gift of God. The gift of God, very simply, is the Greek word charis. And it means not only a spiritual gift, but it also means the grace of God on our lives. Friends, today what I want to do is we talk about building a life of prayer, as we talk about taking a step deeper into the secret place of God, as we talk about stirring up our spiritual fervor and zeal, as we talk about being a people that God can trust with the burdens on his heart. Here's what I want to encourage you. I want to ask you to stand up this morning, and I want to encourage you to be a people that every single day of your life you fan into flame that you rouse and that you awaken and that you stir up and that you rekindle the fire of God, the fire of your passion for God, the fire of your love for God, the fire of your desire to be used of God, the fire of your desire to participate with the purposes of God in your day. I want to ask you today, right now, would you just put your hand on your belly? There are things inside of you that you used to walk in, you don't walk in anymore, and God wants to rekindle those. There is a passion and a hunger for the word of God that used to be in you and it's not there anymore. God wants to breathe on the embers of your love for the word and he wants to stir it up again. Some of you are intercessors and you've taken yourself off the wall 
And God, God is saying to you today, come back, stand on the wall, stand on the wall of your family, stand on the wall of the school systems of America, stand on the wall of your church, stand on the wall of your city and pray and intercede and do warfare and fight battles with me in the spirit. Let the Lord just stir that up inside of you today. Some of you have gifts of leadership and God is rekindling those today. Gifts of hospitality, God is kindling those today. Gifts of creation. Creativity, God is kindling those today. Gifts of worship, gifts of working with children, God is kindling those today. Gifts of evangelism and missions and outreach, and God is kindling those today. In the name of Jesus, oh God, I pray today that every single one of us with our hands on our belly right now, that we would fan into flame gifts of writing, gifts of communicating, gifts of journalism, gifts of communicating ideas. Fan into flame the gift of God inside of us. Fan into flame our spiritual zeal, our intensity, our passion, our intimacy, our hunger, our desire, our worship, our prayer lives. Fan into flame today, oh God. Oh, Spirit of the living God, right now, right now. God, I pray that we would throw off every hindrance and every weight and all the sin that so easily entangles. Right now, God, I want to pray freedom over my brothers and sisters. Some of us are hearing this and they're saying, there's there's, there's just no way. I'm too entangled. I'm too in bondage. And right now, I pray by the authority of Jesus' name that chains of addiction and yokes of bondage would be broken off of our lives, that we could run in you today again, that we could run in the path of your commands, that we could run in the path of your truth again with passion, with focus, with fire, with hunger in the name of Jesus. Friends, stir up your spirit right now. Pray over yourself. Pray over your marriage. Pray over your purity. Pray over your hunger. Pray over your life in God. God, I want a life in you. I want life in you. I want to be passionate for you. I want to burn in you, God. Baptize us in fire and in the Holy Spirit. Baptize us in fire. Burn away the indifference. Burn away the passivity and compromise. Burn away the corruption. Oh, God, we're so bored, I pray. Burn away the boredom. Fill us with the fascination with God afresh and anew. Anoint us. Anoint our hands for your assignments today in the name of Jesus. Let's just lean into this moment right now. And this, oh, breath of God, come breathe with There must be more than this Spirit of God, we wait for you Make this your prayer this morning Fill us, fill us anew
Church, as we prepare to step into a time of communion, there's a an obvious temptation that shows up when you hear a message like the one we just heard. And the temptation is that what we will do is what all Americans do and try to force something, try to achieve our way into a relationship with God, try to work our way to gain authority, to gain favor. But what I think about is this image that Jade has shared, this image of God giving us a fire, rekindling the fire within us. And what is true about how that happens is that it is not us who blow on the flames and on the embers, but it is the very spirit of God, the very breath of God that blows through, that brings things back to life that were once there, but have now simply dwindled. And there's actually no better place to be reminded that it is not our work that accomplishes things, but it is the Lord's then to come to the table of communion. To remember that it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread and he broke it. New Life East, would you take that bread and would you break it? He took the bread and when he broke it, he said, this is my body which is given for you. And the beautiful thing about when something is given, it means that we could not earn it. We could not deserve it. We could not coerce it out of Jesus if we tried but it is given as a gift. New Life East, would you take and would you eat that gift? In the same way, he took the cup 
And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. The beautiful thing about a covenant is that it's a promise. And that promise will not be broken. It cannot be broken. God will never fail us. And even when we fail him, the promise will not be broken. New Life East, would you take and would you drink? And now would you respond in worship by singing the doxology? New Life East, would you open up your hands and receive this benediction today? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. Some members of our altar ministry team will be along the back walls. If you want someone to pray with you or simply intercede with you, they'd love to be a part of that. If you're a guest, we'd love to meet you at the end of this service and Connect Central. Come by and say hi. For the rest of you, we hope you have a great week, and we will see you next weekend.